Good morning and welcome to Wavemakers with Janet and Tom, a weekly conversation on WMNF Tampa with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And answering phones for us today is music lover John Dunn. He was actually working this past weekend at the Tampa Blues Festival in St. Pete, um, where WMNF had a booth. If you want to join today's conversation, give John a call at 813-239-9663. He'll get you through to us. You can also email us at DJ at WMNF.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Today's Wavemaker is U.S. Representative Kathy Castor of Tampa. She's been making waves since she was first elected 20 years ago to the Hillsborough County Commission. There, as one of only two Democrats on the board, she was described by the St. Pete Times as the voice of the opposition. And she was frequently the lone vote on issues such as gay rights, land use, and the environment. In 2006, she was elected to Congress and represents Florida's 14th district, which includes Tampa and parts of Hillsborough County. In Washington, Representative Castor chairs the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. Thanks for being here, Representative Castor. Well, thank you, Janet and Tom and John Dunn back in the booth. Um, last week, um, Representative Castor, the select committee she chairs, and the climate were all in the news. Um, the committee and Representative Castor for hearings on price gouging by big oil companies. And also last week, the United Nations released its latest climate report. The report is another dire warning from the world scientists, and it calls for immediate and drastic action, including practically eliminating the use of all fossil fuels by 2050, if we want to ensure the Earth remains hospitable to humans. Um, this is a, a really significant report. It's the third in a series. The first part um, uh, from this UN um, committee uh, focused on the scientific evidence for climate change. The second part on the impacts. And this is about mitigation and what we can actually do to make a difference. Um, Representative Castro, what do you make of this report? Well, it's a, a double-edged sword. It's, uh, it was a real eye-opener. Uh, a report because we are falling behind and we're running out of time and time for urgent action is now. In fact, it's last week, last <laughs> month, last year. But there is still a, a hopeful note that we do have the tools uh, to get to a clean energy future uh, with lifting up people, doing it in an equitable way. Uh, the the solutions are right in front of us, and the United States of America has an outsized responsibility to help lead the world in technology and innovation uh, to lower costs for consumers. We know, like I said, we have the tools to do it, and we can lead the rest of the world in this transition. If you're just tuning in, this is WMNF, um, uh, Wavemakers and WMNF, and in the studio with us is uh, U.S. Representative Kathy Castor, and we're talking about the latest U.N. climate report. If you have any questions for Representative Castor, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. Um, we also have in the studio with us Whit Remmer, who is the first sustainability director for the city of Tampa, and later on in the hour, we'll be talking to him about what the city of Tampa is doing to address um, the climate crisis. And we'll be hearing uh, about from the St. Pete um, Sustainability Director about what's happening in St. Pete. Um, but let's, uh, for Representative Castor, what you, one of the things that you mentioned is that, yes, this report has an, has a, an optimistic tone to it and saying that there are solutions. But how practical is this? One, uh, getting off of fossil fuels. Are we ever going to get off of fossil fuels? How do we do that? How do we do that fast enough? Um, when we, it's so much a part of who we are as a, a culture. 
Well, Worldwide. It, yeah, it's not easy. But the good news is the economics are pointing us in that direction. Uh, clean energy resources are a whole lot cheaper now than they ever were before. Solar, wind power, energy efficiency. We have tools like smart meters and ways to control the electrical grid across the country that save consumers money and save the big capital cost. You just have to uh, look around town when you're out and about to see the new electric vehicles that are driving right past the gas station right mm-hmm. now, right past those high gas prices. And you're going to, we're going to live through an enormous, uh, exciting time of transition in the vehicles that we drive that are cleaner, uh, fun to drive, going to create thousands and thousands of jobs right here in America, including that F-150 lightning truck that I thanked uh, uh, the automakers <laughs> for naming that after our Stanley Cup uh, <laughs> So you're, you're talking about electric vehicles. Why? What's your hope for electric vehicles? What are you seeing that indicates that we are really going to electrify um, automobiles the way we need to? Well, Ford and GM, the leading U.S. automakers, have said that's all they're going to build in a few years, only electric. And the other automakers across the globe know this is a competitiveness race. Who's going to win this race? And the U.S. automakers have have thrown down the gauntlet and said, we are going to win that race. We're going to build those vehicles here in America. And it's not just cars, the cars we drive and the trucks we drive. It will be the clean electric school buses. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will take our kids to school, and you all remember the riding the bus to school, the the diesel fumes. Uh, that's not good for kids' health. It's not good for neighborhoods that that have concentrated transit vehicles. Here at Heartline, they're already beginning the replacement of of uh, old buses with clean electric vehicles, and we're in a bit of a tussle with. Uh, the head, the postmaster over the fleet of postal vehicles, but uh, we're going to live through an exciting transition that will clean the air, create jobs, and lower costs for everyone. But the the task is urgent, and we have to move. Well, for the automobile automobile makers, in some ways, it's a matter of survival for them, uh, just because one of the things that the climate report talks about is stranded assets and all of the the fossil fuel infrastructure that will end up being abandoned when we do make the switch, because there are countries and states and places that are committing to not even allowing the sale of um, fossil fuel powered vehicles, correct? That's correct. So it's all, all, all changing. What's your response to people who say um, it's too late to do anything, that we um, need to instead focus our efforts on building walls and keeping the water out? I mean, even these, these reports acknowledge that there's really nothing we can do to stop climate change. No, 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 they're wrong. Every, every degree, every portion of a degree that we are able to avoid in global warming and warming of the planet will mean uh, significant cost savings, probably life savings. Uh, we are already experiencing uh, the impacts of the changing climate. All you have to do is look at the wildfires out west, that freak uh a uh, cold snap in Texas that mm-hmm. killed hundreds of people, they froze. Or how about Hurricane Ida that, yes, it hit the Gulf Coast, but then it spun up uh, to the northeast and flooded out people living in their basements. Died. So in the, in the U.S., we're, we're funding billions of dollars of emergency aid and outlays. Those dollars would be better spent 
in the transition to clean energy, but making our communities more resilient. And it's so exciting to see what's happening locally here at the city of Tampa, the city of St. Pete, uh, Hillsborough County. This region now is on the move like they've never been before on resiliency. Well, Representative, can we do this on our own? Even if the United States does act in the way you are leading on this issue, when you have countries like China and India continuing to pollute and countries like Russia whose economies are largely based on fossil fuels, how can we make a difference unless they join us? That's why America has to lead the world in innovation and technology uh, because renewable resources are a whole lot cheaper. Uh, but you, we have significant investments to make to make that so to, on a scale. Look at solar panels. Years ago, decade ago, they were quite expensive. Uh, they have dropped uh, extraordinarily in cost. That's what we have to do with clean energy technology across the spectrum, whether it's the offshore wind farms, the onshore wind mills, the the clean energy solar panels, just the energy efficiency, just changing out light bulbs over time. Right now, a lot of the fossil fuels going to the coal that China's using, same in India, uh, their addiction to frac gas, that's an economic equation. It's easy, it's inexpensive, and we've got to make sure we have that technology that's dropping the cost uh, for people, especially in the developing world. We've got to get ahead of this in Africa, uh, in South America especially. They have, they cannot, as Janet referenced before, be so addicted that they spend their money mm-hmm. on fossil fuel infrastructure and assets that are stranded over time. Because, in fact, our uh, reliance on fossil fuel has not declined in, in the face of all these dire reports. It's actually gone up. At what point do you think we'll start seeing it go down, at least a little bit? Well, we saw it during the, the COVID-19 pandemic as uh, people were not traveling anymore. They were at home. And that was, uh, you know, you in one way that was somewhat hopeful. We can do this. We, we can do big things. Uh, but it is going to take all of us working in the same direction. That's why you point to the economics. And you cannot let the big oil companies and fossil fuel barons and petro dictators like Vladimir Putin carry the day. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to fight for uh, democracy at the same time you're fighting for lower clo- cost clean energy resources, making sure you're, you're doing everything possible on a diplomatic level to help spread these technologies across the developing world. Um, we've got an email from DeMarco who says um, the subject line, leave it in the ground. Um, the IPC says we have three years to cut fossil fuel use in half. Isn't the only logical response to Putin's Ukrainian genocide to stop using fossil fu- fuels ASAP? I, I agree. There is, uh, uh, there is a short-term issue, though, with supporting the Ukrainians and our allies in Europe as they transitioned. God bless the brave Ukrainians who are standing up uh, to this petro-despot in, in Vladimir Putin. Uh, but they are, Europe is going to need the frac gas for a, a little bit longer uh, as they transition. Remember, the Germans have cut off the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. They're trying to fast-track clean energy resources. But in the immediate short term, they're, they're going to need additional natural gas supplies to fight, uh, fight off Putin. Um, we got a couple callers on the line. We have um, Peter in Tarpon Springs. Peter in Tarpon Springs, um, he's got a question about electric vehicles. Uh, what's on your mind, Peter? 
Well, it's not so much good afternoon, and thank you, Representative Castor, for taking the time to address your constituents and those in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, there's two concerns. One, with flooding Tarpon Springs, we're very coastal with bayous, and this climate change, we're going to need some infrastructure help uh, for flooding. But my concern is, as we transition over to more electrical vehicles, uh, where are we going to look to generate that electricity and that power? Are we going to start looking more at nuclear? Uh, are we going to uh, limit the power company's control on uh, solar rooftop and how we uh, have companies generate? I'd like to see uh, some incentives for businesses. You drive down 19 and you look at all these malls and these businesses with flat rooftops, and there's no solar panels. Mm -hmm. We need to find ways to incentivize businesses to start putting solar panels. So I'd like to see what you and your colleagues are discussing as far as how we can support the electricity needs for these electric vehicles and other electrical appliances and tools that we find so critical in our daily lives. Thank you. Thanks for that question, um, Peter. Representative Castor, what's your, what's yeah, your response that's a to Peter? Great point, Peter. And here's what we've passed in the U.S. House already. Very significant tax credits to help lower the cost of those solar panels, the solar farms, uh, and the electric vehicles, and the charging stations. In fact, in the bipartisan infrastructure law, we set aside billions of dollars that will now flow to uh, local communities and businesses to help install that charging infrastructure. It's going to be, you're going to see them at businesses, at uh, houses, apartment complexes, everywhere you turn. But your point is very well taken. It only makes sense uh, that the EVs are going to be charged by clean and renewable resources. And right now, in the state of Florida, our power generation is 75% frac gas. Uh, and then you add a little coal on top of it. Meanwhile, we're the sunshine state. Mm -hmm. We have the most potential in the country to power our economy based upon clean and abundant uh, solar power. And there is a battle royale going on right now uh, from small businesses and consumers and small businesses that want to be able to install solar panels and get a good rate of return from the electric utilities, Duke, Tico, FPL. Uh, unfortunately, the power companies, the utilities prevailed this legislative session in the solar, anti-solar bill that Governor DeSantis is likely to sign. You could weigh in with Governor DeSantis today mm -hmm. and tell him don't sign the uh, anti-solar bill. Which would do what? For our listeners who are not familiar with that bill, that would do what? Right now, if you if you put solar panels uh, on your business, for example, one of my favorites is that huge uh, beer distributor, Great Bay, right there at the Gandy Bridge. Mm -hmm. uh, when you cross over into Pinellas County, solar panels, they sell their power. Uh, they generate back to uh, Duke Energy and get a certain rate of return. This would uh, diminish their rate of return. And what should be happening is Great Bay should be able to not just power their own warehouse there to cool off the beer in the beer, <laughs> in the beer distribution. They should be able to sell that. They should be able to use that as a microgrid uh, and charge their fleet vehicles uh, in doing it. And that's the wave of the future. And that's going to be true resiliency. And if the power companies would get ahead of the game like other communities are, rather than trying to maximize every profit and keep, keep us addicted to fossil fuels, we'd be a lot better off. And I believe the law says that they can only sell it to the power company. They couldn't sell it to another business. It's adjacent and want solar power, right? 
Isn't that uh, crazy in this day and age where we, where it's urgent to reduce our carbon footprint and to be doing everything possible? Well, and that's where you get into the disconnect, where we're, we have this report that tells us we need to take action, and yet we live in a state where we have a legislature that's making it difficult to take action. I want to take a moment to reintroduce our guest. U.S. Representative Kathy Castor is with us today. She chairs the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. She is the point person in the House of Representatives addressing this crisis. In the second half of the show, we'll be discussing what steps Tampa and St. Pete are taking to address this crisis uh, with the sustainability directors for those two cities, Whit Remmer and Sharon Wright. Um, and we have an email from Bubba, one of our regular listeners, who says, I live in Tampa and Kathy is my rep. She does a good job. What are her thoughts on reducing the gas tax to give short-term economic relief to struggling families? Well, I'm afraid that, that you just cannibalize uh, your ability to invest in the infrastructure that you need in this growing state, especially transit. We're so far behind. And good for Hillsborough County Board of County Commissioners getting the offer transportation uh, proposal back on the ballot in November. That'll help reduce carbon footprint here and and uh, probably create a lot of jobs and connect working people to jobs in schools. Uh, but there's one uh, sideline. In the emergency uh, COVID relief of monies that we sent to the state of Florida, do you know what the Florida legislature and Governor DeSantis did with a portion of those COVID relief dollars? They Please have, tell us. We think you know. <laughs> They have uh, created a gas tax holiday in October. Uh, interesting timing. Isn't that interesting timing? Uh, right before the election. And you all know when you when and if you see a dip in gas prices in October, you can thank President Joe Biden and the Democratic Congress. Well, I noticed <laughs> driving to the station today that gas is finally under $4. So should we be thanking Joe Biden for that? <laughs> Well, we, let me tell you, we had the big oil CEOs. Oh, yeah, let's in, thank Representative Castor for that, those hearings last week. We had the big <laughs> oil CEOs in front of my committee last week, and uh, we really shamed them that uh, they are making record profits right now and not passing along any of the savings uh, to consumers. The wholesale price has dipped a little bit, but they're, across the country, they their profits were not dipping whatsoever, and we we pressed them on what more they could do. Uh, uh, they, you know, it is a conundrum because they, a lot of folks say, well, increase production, increase production, but we have a climate crisis on our hands, and so the better thing is to reduce demand. Right, well, interestingly, you know, the, the hearing last week happened the same time that this climate report was right. introduced uh, or released, and to me, there's a, feels like a little bit of a disconnect because don't we want gas prices to be high? Don't we want the gas prices to be really high so it's painful to use gas and then the alternative fuel prices go down and you basically have the market to force to change the demand so that just like you mentioned earlier, people in electric vehicles are just driving right by the gas stations. So... Don't we want high prices? Isn't that good? No, I do not want <laughs> high prices on working people. A lot of folks don't have any choice. That you know, they've got to get the kids to school. Their businesses are are tied to to trucking or getting goods delivered. So no, what we do want, we don't want to go through this again. We go through this every 
uh, 10 years or so where we have an energy crisis. We've got to work to become truly energy independent. And the only way we can do that is by transitioning to clean energy across the board. It doesn't happen overnight, but we are making significant progress. Thank goodness uh, Joe Biden is in the White House and fighting for clean energy tax credits, getting those EV tax credits and the charging infrastructure out across the country. Uh, but we have to do more. There are portions uh, in what was called the Build Back Better uh, uh, bill that has got to be passed in the U.S. Senate, and we have not given up on that. Well, we had when we um, on, on Facebook, we had a couple of people who commented about again talking about reducing demand about highway uh, construction um, and continued expansion of our highways, including in the Tampa Bay area. Um, you mentioned also all for transportation. I think we talked about that the the um, the, the referendum on taxes that will uh, sales ta- transportation tax that will be on the agenda in November. How do we reduce demand from that perspective? Again, going back to let's get to the some of the roots of the problem um, in terms of yeah, well, the kind are. of infrastructure we build. You know, I love Tampa. I've grown up here all my life. This is a beautiful, diverse community. I know you all love it as well. But we're behind when it comes to transit. Mm-hmm. We're the largest metropolitan area in the country without a functional transit system. And now... Because we've passed the bipartisan infrastructure law, we have enormous resources waiting at the federal level. If uh, Hillsborough County will begin by passing the offer transportation, mm-hmm. we, we did it before. That will unlock uh, billions of dollars that we can invest to improve bus service, make our roads safer, and begin the light rail Line And everyone sees these CSX lines, like the one from downtown that goes through Ybor by Bush Gardens up to USF and north to Pasco. Mm-hmm. Then the east-west line, there's a line right there at Bush Boulevard, uh, goes west into West Chase, into Pinellas County. CSX has been willing in the past to talk about uh, that transition. We've got to get the rail lines out into the growing Riverview area. Uh, we've already secured the funding for the enhanced ferry system mm-hmm. and I hope will take many of the folks who live in the Fishhawk area and Riverview across the bay to McDill Air Force Base. It's We have got to accelerate our, our transition and one of the ways is through transit. So what's at stake in the midterm elections this fall? Because um, will your committee survive if uh, the House is uh, leadership is switched to uh, the Republican Party? Well, we we certainly hope so. But unfortunately, uh, while some of my uh, Republican colleagues in Congress pay lip service to to the climate, they like to talk about resiliency a lot, but they're not they're not talking or voting on clean energy. Uh, so I don't I think it's not a foregone conclusion that the Democrats uh, give up control of the House. But I know history, though. Uh, we're going to keep fighting for every little bit. That's why it's so important. Uh, this spring, early this summer, we passed those clean energy tax credits that will save people money across the board, help with the transition to clean energy, help decarbonize the industrial processes that are so difficult, help lead the world on innovation and technology. Uh, but President Biden will still be there. You'll have folks like uh, Mayor Castor and Mayor Welch and Whit Reamer and uh, <laughs> others who are going to work on what we can do at the local level. And everyone has a role to play, no matter who you are in reducing demand, conserving energy more, 
taking your taking a walk or bike ride instead of jumping in your car. It has to be a mindset change as well. And what I think is so interesting about the conversation and how much it's changed in the last few years is when the voters approved the off transportation tax a few years ago, the climate crisis was not really part of the conversation, and now it is. We had the mayors of all the major cities in Tampa Bay talk about that just last week, how important transportation is. But what they meant was what you discussed, mass transit. Do you think we can get there? I know we can get there. I know we can get there. It's kind of the missing piece in this in this fantastic, uh, dynamic community. I... I I think the I think the future is very bright, and I think about that University of South Florida study done a couple of years ago too, that said if we invest in transit, improve our bus system, and move to light rail, we can lift people out of poverty. We can connect them to jobs and uh, uh, have a he- much healthier community. I know we can do it. Uh, another component, of course, of the the Hillsborough transportation taxes. Uh, bicycling and pedestrian infrastructure, sidewalks, bike lanes, and that sort of things also are better for us physically and better for our environment. So uh, another example of how transportation investments make a difference in our climate and in our physical health. And just, Janet, it is, it's, it's health and it's mobility, but uh, boy, the, if you ever get out to the Riverwalk on a nice weekend day, people are loving it. It's a, this has been a, you know, every Every few years, I'm able to bring a little extra federal investment. And now we're going to go to the west side of the river and connect those neighborhoods up into West Tampa so they won't have to get in their cars mm-hmm. all the time. They will have safe uh, bike paths and and uh, sidewalks for a change. And bit by bit by bit, we have got to expand those type of investments. Uh, it makes it a... a better place to live. It is so great to see people out walking and biking, and it just underscores that old saying, if if you build it, they will come. If you build bike lanes, they will use bike lanes. They will walk on sidewalks. They will maybe even meet their neighbors. Um, I'm gonna, let's take another phone call. We have Ken in Tampa who's on the line. He is a commercial driver, and he has a question about electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles for Representative Castor. Ken in Tampa, you're on the line. What's on your mind? Uh, Thank you, and uh, Congresswoman, thank you for your leadership in Washington for all of us left here in Tampa Bay waiting your uh, your return home. Uh, I understand that you're a supporter of electric vehicles, but there's also uh, autonomous vehicles on the horizon, and maybe you have uh, some questions or reservations about that. I, I think autonomous vehicles hold hold promise. They need to be thoroughly tested. Uh, there have been some some uh, tests here by the Expressway Authority. I rode one in downtown Tampa. I think they're operating in uh, downtown St. Pete too on short trips. Uh, I think testing is critical, but right now I'm very focused on the electric vehicles as that's where the United States. Uh, Automakers and and unions and working people are really throwing all of their energies into. I want to, before I, we have I know Representative Castor needs to scoot. I want to read one last email before you go. Um, we have an email from DeAndre who says, "So far, scientists have cited urban heat island effect for the rise in regional temperatures. Places like the Bay Area, Orlando, Fort Lauderdale, Miami are believed to have recorded record high temperatures as an effect. And I think that's urban areas, no trees, lots of cars, blacktop. We're going to have a lot of um, heat." Um, 
he says, I personally believe when our Gulf region is downwind of such temps, it results in our water's record seasonal highs. The question for Representative Castor is, will you be acknowledging the chance that overdevelopment regionally plays a role in our Florida climate matters? Boy, that's a fantastic question. And for those of you that are interested in solutions like that to the climate crisis, I recommend the report that my committee uh, issued uh, about a year ago, Solving the Climate Crisis. It's online at house, uh, climatecrisis.house.gov. We had uh, hundreds of recommendations to help solve the climate crisis We've passed over 400 of them in the House, and we're going to keep fighting for more. Uh, and we address the what we need to do to address the heat island effect, especially in urban areas. It is a true area of equity, and mm-hmm. it really highlights the misguided uh, law that was passed by the GOP legislature and signed by uh, a Republican governor that guts the ability of local communities to protect their trees, including mm-hmm. right here in Tampa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that uh, hopefully we can add from the federal level greater incentives for states to protect their canopies, invest especially in communities with that that need a little help taking care of their trees and planting new trees. Uh, that's one of the climate solutions that I know the city of Tampa is working on. And it's something mentioned in the climate report. They talk about tree planting, which seems just so fundamental. Um, we can't plant our way out of this crisis, but it's something that needs to continue and, and we should not be inhibiting it. Earth Day is coming up. Uh, so that's the challenge to all of you. Maybe that's a, a great thing assignment for you out there. Go plant a tree. Uh, You don't even have to wait till Earth Day to do that. Well, thank you for being here with us. We really appreciate it, Representative Castor. Thank you very much, Janet and Tom. Um, So one of the things in the climate report um, talks about how uh, cities um, are responsible for two-thirds of the global emissions. Um, And so we are going to talk now in the second half of the show with um, the Director of Sustainability in the City of Tampa, um, Whit Remmer, and we'll be hearing later from the Director of Sustainability in St. Petersburg uh, to talk about what's going on in St. Pete. So, Whit, thanks for being with us today. You are the City of Tampa's first Director of Sustainability, and how long have you been in that role? Hi, good morning. Uh, coming up on two years, and I just have to jump on uh, an opportunity for folks that live in the city of Tampa to plant those trees. Um, we're going to be doing an inaugural tree giveaway uh, in two weeks. We're going to be announcing that later this week, and uh, you'll be able to come pick up a tree that you can plant yourself. Uh, three-gallon oh, wow. tree up at the Sulphur Springs pool area. And so we're going to be doing, I'm hoping to, to give away a thousand trees uh, for City of Tampa residents and we'll be releasing that registration form soon. So What day I, is that? I, I think it's going to be on, on um, Saturday, April the 23rd. Oh, okay. And uh, what kind of trees? There's four that you can choose from <laughs> uh, and it's they're, they're, they depend on whether you're going to be planting them underneath a utility line or not um, because we want to make sure that we, we keep uh, these utility lines since we're talking about energy, uh, cle- uh, clear of um, branches during high high wind events. So um, that was the first thing I thought: is be careful where you plant. That's them. right. We'll have a tree guide for you as well. I hate to see the way they they whack those trees, but you know, got to protect those utility lines. I guess we well, right tree, right place. Uh, you know, and so we we, we do encourage 
uh, when we're planting new trees to pl- plant them in the right place away from sidewalks so we don't uh, destroy the sidewalks that we're all promoting and uh, away from utility lines so we can keep that continuous um, power, especially during um, during severe weather events. So we talked uh, with Representative Castor about the kind of two approaches uh, that uh, are being taken and being recommended by the U.N., uh, there is mitigation, like she talked about, to try to reduce the carbon footprint that everybody has, but also resiliency. Um, the report also said there's really nothing we can do to stop the climate uh, crisis, but we can try to mitigate its impact. So Tampa is uh, very vulnerable to uh, sea level rise. What is Tampa doing to mitigate against that. Yeah, well, bo- both are critical. I can't underscore that enough. Uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions is is critically important. Transportation counts for about 40% of mm-hmm. our carbon footprint here in Tampa. We know that because USF conducted a greenhouse gas inventory last year. Um, and we, we know exactly where every single um, ton of carbon is emitted from in this city, whether it's uh, tailpipes, uh, commercial hmm. Uh, buildings, Tico's uh, Big Ben facility. We, we have all that mapped out. So now we can develop a strategy to help with that transition to clean energy. But but on the, the adaptation side, because we know, unfortunately, we, we probably are already experiencing impacts uh, from climate change. We need to build climate-ready infrastructure. We need to build resilient infrastructure. And so thankfully, you know, th- this... Um, this governor has focused a lot on resilience and building climate-ready infrastructure. He, uh, they do so through the uh, kind of the lens of improving water quality and protecting communities, and that's good. And so we'll take what we can get. Uh, so he, here in the city of Tampa, climate-resilient infrastructure, uh, along with all of the kind of um, Bay Area municipalities, we're, we're looking at um, things like green infrastructure. So that's um, may, maybe a living shoreline. So instead of having a hard concrete seawall that protects uh, the, the neighborhood, maybe what you do is you put a line of mangroves in front of that mm-hmm. to help reduce wave action. Also, it extends the life of the seawall so it's not constantly battered by waves mm-hmm. directly. And in doing so, those mangroves can provide important spawning habitat for marine species and uh, migratory birds love landing in them. So this is kind of one of those multiple lines of defense, multiple benefits. And that's just one example of coastal resilience that we're looking at uh, in several neighborhoods in Tampa. Wow. Um, uh, we have a question from Andy who wants to know, what are the four trees you're giving away on <laughs> April 23rd? <laughs> you know, I don't have the list in front of me, but but like I said, uh, we're, we're uh, having a meeting on that later today, and hopefully we'll be announcing the registration here in the next uh, two days. Certainly some interest in the free trees. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the city of Tampa has a great program called the Tremendous Program, and that's where if you go and you sign up, the city of Tampa will, through a, a contractor, come and install really nice-sized trees. They're like 300 bucks each and you get two a year and they'll plant them in the right of way and they send uh, like a professional tree installer out. The backlog for that program is nine months long. That's how much interest we have and protecting and preserving our tree canopy is one of the main goals of um, reducing that heat island effect, making sure that we're improving water quality, dissipating uh, those extreme rainfalls. The difference between when rain hits the top of a tree and the rain hits one of those surface parking lots, it's enormous. It has enormous mm-hmm. water quality impacts and um, and can really be the difference between a, a, a great street uh, versus uh, another another parking lot. 
Um, are we looking at um, building code at all? Are you guys looking at building code at all? So, you know, Florida has a, a really um, advanced building code, both on the energy side um, and on the resilient side. One example I can tell you, uh, we have we, we updated our building code at the city of Tampa last year almost uh, directly because of uh, insurance regulations and because of, of climate change. And let huh. me give this example. Uh, pr- prior to last year, you had about 30 feet to build your house from kind of the slab to the top of the house. And what was happening, because these new insurance rate maps were coming, which I'm sure a lot of homeowners have seen, their insurance rates, especially their flood insurance rates, are going up. And that's a good thing because, in part, it can signal um, that that there is there is risk. And, and maybe want, you shouldn't build there. Make it more expensive. <laughs> listen, we need, we need an equitable transition to, to these, these new insurance rates. It, it's hitting people hard in the pocketbooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we need to make sure that there are, um, there are options to help make sure that that's done in an equitable way. But ultimately what the insurance market, at least the flood insurance market, the, the private insurance market here in Florida has a different set of issues. The private insurance market is saying you're building in a risky area and, and that might be okay We'll reduce your insurance rate if you elevate your house. And that's exactly what we did in the city of Tampa is we changed the building code so you could actually elevate your house and that won't count against your height restriction. So now you might see a house that technically is 35 feet off the ground, but we don't measure that height until um, the, the the lowest level. So you can build those stairs, you can put the, that house on some pilings, and then you get your 30 feet from the top of that. So we're actually... Literally change, yeah, change the code so that people can build their houses higher off the ground with higher elevations and don't have to worry about their homes flooding. The city of Tampa is open for business. We can deal with this climate crisis. Uh, I'm not saying we can build our way out of it, but there are ways that we can build more resiliently. Just have to live a little bit differently. You're even doing small things. I mean, we were reading your, you have a, a pretty detailed report on how Tampa is dealing with the climate change. And it goes down to the level of, uh, trying to uh, deal with the parking places that we have in downtown Tampa, I found that fascinating. There's a there's a lot of excess parking, not only in downtown Tampa, but in a lot of our urban core. Uh, we're looking at parking minimums uh, as part of our land development code update. Um, you know, developers come here and in other cities. Uh, they're they're not allowed to build as much parking as we're requiring them <laughs> to build, uh, and and that's going to hmm. cause us to really rethink how we are patronizing businesses in the downtown urban core, and that's where transportation comes in. I'll give you a quick story. Last week, I was invited to come speak to the leadership Tampa. Um, organization and they had their transportation and sustainability day uh, all together and they kind of apologized. I was the second half of the day doing sustainability. They said we know these don't don't have a whole lot to do with each other, but it's just kind of how it fell. And I said, wrong. These have everything to do with each other. Uh, our future. Uh, of living sustainably here in the city of Tampa and in the Tampa Bay region relies critically on a well-functioning transportation system. And I think you guys covered that sufficiently with, with Representative Castor. Um, we've got um, Sharon Wright on the line. Um, Sharon Wright um, is the Director of Sustainability at the City of St. Petersburg. Um, Sharon, um, can you hear me? Are you there? Sharon, are you there? Um... Um, well, we've also let's um, take a call then from Julia in Tampa, who is the um, um, uh, wants to make a comment about the public transportation system. Julia, you're on the line. 
Hi. Um, I see that you've kind of moved on to sustainability, so I'm going to address the public transportation system really quick and then go to a sustainable um, question. Okay. Um, there is no public transportation that comes up into the Carrollwood area that comes up Bear Lake Road. From They could have something that goes from the University Area Transfer Center, comes across um, up Boosby Downs to Bears, Bears up Ehrlich, and Ehrlich maybe over to the Northwest Transportation Center. I have to walk. If I'm going to go to Dale Mabry, which is basically a five or ten minute drive, I have to walk an hour and a half to get there because there's nothing that comes up here. So I think that's a big hole in the transportation system and I wish that um, Hart would address that. Okay. Now, with respect to sustainability, I have noticed because I do walk so much, um, I walk probably three or four days a week, and I walk three, no, four um, miles or whatever. One day I took a walk out probably about a couple of weeks ago. I did not see not one bird. I saw one. The one bird I saw was dead. And mm. I didn't see any birds. There is something that is happening to the birds. I was reading the other day that it might be the 5G, 6G towers or something, the radiation. Mm. I think it's more likely avian flu. There's an avian flu outbreak up north and, uh, you know, Oh, that could be. Julia, thank you for the call. I really appreciate it. And um, we definitely, you know, as we discussed earlier, public transportation is a key part. Um, transportation is a key part of addressing the climate crisis. And I think that transportation is also an issue with the city. We talked earlier, I think bike and pedestrian infra uh, infrastructure is something that is also part of the sustainability program? Well, well, transportation is one of the city's key focus areas. It's one of Mayor Castro's key focus areas, uh, transportation, workforce development, uh, housing affordability, sustainability, and resilience are, are kind of the key pillars there. And they're all interrelated and sustainability underpins uh, every single one of those sectors. Um, you know, I'll just take affordable housing, for example. You know, I think solar panels are, are, are wonderful and we should be putting solar panels on as many houses as we can. Putting a solar panel on a, a person's house whose roof is 20 years old, who has a, an HV system, a, a HVAC system, an air conditioning that's 15 years old, and single pane windows, that that's not where we need to be putting solar panels. Mm -hmm. That person needs to have uh, opportunities and assistance to weatherize their house and to upgrade their um, their large HVAC systems to something much much more efficient. You, you could build a new house right now that's 3,000 square feet with the newest windows and the newest uh, uh, um, HVAC system and compare that to a house that's that's uh, was built in the 50s with single pane windows and an older AC and those people and that, that house might be uh, say a thousand square feet and those electric bills will probably be the same and we know that the transportation burden and the utility burden really add up for people that, that live paycheck to paycheck so that energy efficiency program is super super important we have a program offered by uh, the Weatherization Assistance Program here in Hillsborough County. It's called, it's run by THAP, mm -hmm. T H A P, and they are looking. They are begging for people to call their phones to ask for weatherization audits and energy efficiency audits. Not enough people know about this program. It was in Kathy Castor's climate uh, crisis report that we need weatherization programs. There's billions of dollars in the federal government that is coming down to help homeowners. These are the types of programs that I really encourage people to look at, uh, especially those that can't put fifteen thousand. 
$1,000 worth of new solar panels on their house. And so this is an audit, and then they actually can mitigate. We'll come in and do the weatherizing and pay. You can get if, federal if the, funding for them. If the program has funds, yes, they can, they'll, they'll do a free audit, and then they'll come in and That's weatherize. That's where equity comes in. That's exactly issue. right. Yeah. All right, I think we have Sharon on the phone now. Sharon, Sharon Wright from the city of St. Petersburg, um, Director of Sustainability. Are you on the line? I am on the line. How are you? Good. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it very much. Um, um, we want to hear what's happening in St. Pete. You're the, the mayor of St. Pete, Ken Welch, um, at a forum recently said, um, here's a direct quote, there will be parts of the city long term we probably shouldn't be building, um, rebuilding. And he noted that more than 40% of St. Petersburg falls within the co- coastal high hazard area, which is at, which is at risk at flooding, of flooding in Category 1 hurricanes. So, Sharon, on, on two fronts, What's happening in St. Pete? Is are you doing anything to address that just basic infrastructure issue? And what kind of programs does the city of St. Pete have to um, um, mitigate the impacts of climate change? Sure, and a happy Earth Day month, everyone. Um, <laughs> but as it relates to the coastal high hazard, um, I, I like to kind of step back and start by recognizing that the city of St. Pete has had plans and incentives in place since before 2010 that largely drove a lot of the development to the higher areas through our future land use and other plans. You know, our Central Avenue corridor plan, um, the fact that we have a wonderful grid in St. Pete that allows for business corridors and activity nodes, and uh, a a good part of those are not in the coastal high hazard. So then um, our coastal high hazard area increases by like 40%, or, you know, almost by half, uh, making 40% of our area uh in that area now so um what we've done about that is limited where and how you can add density in those areas mm-hmm. um there's a business corridors and employment centers focus you know we don't want to uh discourage development in our large employment centers like gateway but we do want to build more resiliently so um none of it really relates to the single family or the preserves um as far as increasing density in those areas And where we can um, still build, there's mandatory criteria uh, related to access to shelters, the general location, and making sure it implements features of our integrated sustainability action plan, our complete streets plan. Um, uh, For the uh, applying to multifamily, it requires an evacuation plan and a re-entry plan. And it has stricter design standards with developer options and staff approval of those on a case-by-case basis. So... While not ideal that our coastal high hazard area has increased so much, um, we're mitigating what could be what could end up being more gentrification while innov- while innovatively trying to set a standard for resilient design. And we can reassess that as some projects come in. How long have you been on board at the city of St. Pete? How long have, have there been a resiliency director there? And I don't know if somebody preceded um, you. Did somebody precede you? Uh, no, I'm honored to be the first one mm-hmm. uh, that was dedicated to this effort, and um, uh, that's not to say a lot of wonderful things weren't going on uh, at St. Pete. We have very passionate staff and community uh, in various departments. Water conservation uh, had been doing some great things for many, many years. But um, on that note, I think when I started uh, in this role, I've been at, I was at the city in a year before I started in this role in 2015, mm-hmm. um, I was one of the only ones in the region um, and there were a few professional sustainability professionals um, working in solid waste or something like that. Right now, just in Pinellas, at the leadership level, we have around 14 sustainability professionals working for various jurisdictions, and that doesn't even count all of the environmental organizations and some really great large employers that we work with that have local and national sustainability cr- uh, programs. Representative Castor mentioned Salpac. Raymond James has a 
very bold uh, sustainability program and things like that. So people are working here. Yeah, and 2015 is is early uh, for a city to hire a sustainability director or, or a, a jurisdiction, and to end, I think what you've been on for on board for two years. So Mayor Castor um, brought you on board, created that position, and it just speaks to the fact of how. The issue is so much for top of mind that we in our cities, both cities, recognize the need to address the issue in a comprehensive way, which is why this is a new um, profession, a new position, a new staff position. Let's re- reintroduce our guests uh, because we only have a few more minutes left uh, if you all want to call in. We're talking to the first two climate uh, directors of uh, Tampa and St. Petersburg, Whit Remmer in Tampa and Sharon Wright in, in St. Petersburg. If you'd like to comment or if you have a question, please uh, call us at 813-239-9663, email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. We're getting a lot of calls and emails today, obviously a topic of a great interest to our listeners. And we have an, an email from Bob Pope who says, great show and has a question about tree removal. He says, tree removal is a big business. I know permits are pooled, but do we keep track of how many tri- trees and sizes so they are replaced? So uh, this is an issue, I think, in, I don't know about St. Pete, but in Tampa, we have people who just cut down trees with, they're better to ask for forgiveness than permission, it seems to happen, so they seem to think. So, Whit, how do you, how do you deal with that? What are you guys doing on that? Because we, we see that happen frequently. Yeah, well, uh, Kathy Castor, Representative Castor, mentioned uh, the state's preemption law that really hamstrung the local uh, municipalities' uh, ability to regulate um, trees, and uh, so we're we're dealing with that new reality. Um, uh, illegal tree removal is still illegal. Now, what dep- what is an illegal tree <laughs> removal has has slightly uh, changed a little bit, but if you see a grand tree um, or, or um, a, a large live oak or laurel oak that looks like it's healthy, go ahead and make a call to your, your local jurisdiction. There are still requirements that, that need to be obtained to cut those down. Um, but oftentimes it's as easy as, as going to, to someone and getting a um, hazardous tree designation and then, mm-hmm. and then ultimately that well, opens that the door. Our, our listeners' uh, question, though, is, there, uh, is the city either, and, and Sharon, this question yep. is for you too, are you tracking? Is, it, is there even an ability to keep track there, of all this? There, there's software for everything, Tom. We get uh, pitched on this all the time. I, I can tell you the city of Tampa is going through our urban forestry management plan update right now. And as part of that, we are doing comprehensive LIDAR analysis of our entire urban tree canopy. There are programs uh, that will come let you track and inventory every single tree in your city. Hmm. I'm not quite sure we are there yet, but we are using um, four-inch uh, LIDAR data. This is all being done uh, through a partnership with the University of South Florida to help us understand where our urban tree canopy is today and compare that to some of the results that they took oh, several years cool. ago. And if you look at aerial photos of Tampa from the 60s and compare it to today, you can see the impact that the tree ordinance that Tampa had has had in, in Tampa. We have a, a pretty good uh, we, we tree are, canopy. However... Are you concerned that it might start going away if we don't protect it? I can tell you that some of the preliminary results that we've seen have seen uh, a, a decrease in the tree canopy. Mm. And Sharon, what about uh, in St. Peter? Are you having uh, similar issues there? Because a lot of the development that uh, at least I've seen in St. Petersburg has been in the urban core. Yes. Um, I know we're going to run out of time, so I'll take this opportunity to, to talk a little bit about that and other things with trees. But yes, um, 
we do the tree removal permits, and yes, we can track those removals, but you only have to get a permit for removal if it's a protected tree. And so there's other kinds of removals of our canopy that we cannot, we can't track without doing some of that data, like Whit talked about on an urban tree uh, canopy analysis. When that um, hamstring, <laughs> hamstringing uh, policy passed at the state, we did try to mitigate that a little bit by interpreting it, which has now been cleared up that that is correct, that requiring the documentation for people that don't get a removal permit, that it was a danger. And a lot of people take it to our uh, brush sites, and so we've trained our brush sites to ask for that documentation before you get there. So I don't know how much that's helped, but we are trying everything we can to mitigate uh, illegal removals. And um, I also just want to give a plug for... um, some of our top initiatives include trees, of course, and um, trees are the great multitasker. We're excited <laughs> to work with our new Urban Forest Committee, formed in 2021. Ah. And, we'll be, and they're working with um, our urban for, one of our urban foresters on a new citizen science program, similar to what Whit mentioned. We're doing tree inventories with citizens out there. Please go check them out at Green Thumb Festival on April 23rd and 24th, where there are also tree giveaways and some other great things. So, um, please go meet them. Please go sign up um, to be either, uh, you know, working on the committee or just be part of the Citizen Science Program and join some of those events. Um, uh, thanks for that, Sharon. We have an email from um, Bev in the next studio next door to us. Hey, Bev, thanks for the email. She says, everyone can use a clothesline or drying rack. We have free solar clothes drying in Florida. They are very common in Europe. Let's bring them back. It saves energy and does not add heat to the environment. And in fact, Tom and I were just in France um, in the fall. And in fact, we rented an apartment that had a washing machine and did not have a dryer. It had a clothes rack. And that was in France and in in November, it was not super hot, and our clothes did dry. I'm old enough to remember when my mom used to use an outdoor uh, clothes dryer. <laughs> so, Bev, thanks for that. Um, Sharon, thanks for calling in. Wit, thanks for being here. Um, thanks to John for answering our phones. Thanks to all of our callers and listeners um, and people who um, emailed us. We appreciate it very much. Stay tuned for NPR News, followed by um, Harrison Nash. Um, he always ha- cooks up some great music from noon to three. This is WMNF Tampa.